Hello, this is Sean Leary. Welcome back to QC Uncut, uh, the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities and your source for uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. You look stunned, Courtney. Number one podcast. It is. It's podcast uh, ever. It's on the number one. Yes, that's right. Your first podcast ever, and it's on the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities. So. And exclusively on quadcities.com, which is we are in the top three in every ranking in web traffic in among media sites in the Quad Cities. We're number one in Google, we're number two in Yahoo, and we're number three in Bing. So we'll we're in the top to the three in everything. We'll so anyway, part okay, okay, Jody. My guest today or some of the creative forces behind Ballet Quad Cities. Jody, Jody Cook is, you're going to start things off here, has been my guest before. We've known each other for quite some time, and I've interviewed you many times before. And so um, this is nothing, this is, you know, you've you've been under the microscope in terms of my interviews before. This is new for Courtney. So I have, however, what... What do I? How do I refer to you? As a punk. As a punk. <laughs> <laughs> I've known it's Sean not, since he's a, a punk, <laughs> and he's still a punk, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> some things don't change, Shelly. They don't. But, but that's I not a bad thing. It's not. No, it's not a bad thing at all. But I do want to introduce Courtney Lyon, our super duper artistic director and choreographer for Paris on Point, right. and she's going to tell everybody about her inspiration for mm-hmm. the choreography, and fill everybody in on the French moderns as well, which will open at the Villiers Museum. Cool, cool. So let's get just the parameters of this out of the way. Then we'll move over to Courtney. All right. Jody, you can tell us when and where the show is taking place, where people can get tickets, website information, all that kind of wonderful stuff up front, if you would be so kind. Well, I'm going to go get my cheat sheet, so I'm not going <laughs> to be... You're giving me <laughs> about it. Before we start recording, you're like, I'm like, oh, where is it? Is it the spotlight? Or are you like, no, Sean, oh, blah, 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 blah. It's at the Galvin. Okay. And here you are. You're like the, you're the artistic director, and you're I'm not even not the having these things director. memorized. You expect the same the from me. That's Okay. CEO. Okay, that's even worse, Jody, that you didn't know it. <laughs> No, you're giving I me guff about what, not know knowing where your venue is. What I want to get correct is the website. Okay. All right. We will be at Galvin Fine Arts Center Saturday the 15th at 7.30, Sunday at 2.30. You may purchase tickets at sau.edu slash Galvin. Okay. They're very selling very quickly. Mm-hmm. So get your tickets now, folks. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. I agree with you. That's <laughs> the universal uh, sound of agreement, Jody. All right. Describe this beautiful. <laughs> and again, she's giving me a visual for a podcast. As you can see, folks, from listening to this, we have a wonderful poster in front of us that has a number of creative people on it. We have, a, I'm not sure what instrument that is. Is that a violin, a viola? I'm not quite sure. Okay. There are some uh, dancers in the middle doing some wonderful choreography, and there is a woman who is st- sitting in front of a piano. Okay. Mary will be on piano. She is 
from Galvin, and okay. we have Naha Greenholtz, who is the concert master for the Quad City Symphony Orchestra. And she is going to be accompanying you as well. She is. Now, this is an original show, correct? It, yes, it is. And it is inspired by and, and in conjunction with an art exhibit. At the Figgy Art Museum, which opens in October. Yes. Okay, now, which of the two of you would like to answer this question? Courtney, would you like to answer the questions in regard well, to the creative aspect of it? Probably. Okay. I'll take it. Now, how did this um, teaming up with you and the Figgy come about? Oh, that's more <laughs> Okay. Um, Tim Schiffer got in touch with a lot of organizations in the community, and he talked about bringing in the French Moderns, and he just got everyone together to see what part we wanted to play in it. And the more we thought about it, the more we talked about it, we decided that um, we would open our season with a performance. So it's really exciting. Moulin Rouge, mm -hmm. Eiffel Tower, mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. Well, that's really cool. Um, and one of the things is that's really neat to me, and I'm wondering if you as a choreographer, this is something that came into um, your uh, thoughts as well when you were creating the show, is the fact that painting and dance are both very guided by motion. They're both very guided brushstrokes. It's very much the same as choreography in a lot of ways. And the emotion that's conveyed by painting, it's not just by color. It's also by the way in which the color and the pictures are administered and the way in which they're drawn upon the canvas and they're created upon the canvas, which has a lot to do with movement. Same way in which ballet conveys a story and brings across emotion and things of that as well. Was that something that um, inspired you when you were coming up with the choreography for the show and coming up with the theme for the show? Um, well, using artwork as an inspiration for dance is like almost a no-brainer, as you said, because of like the inherent movement involved. Because they're a human being at some point, like put a brush to the paper and like put together colors or had a vision or you know captured something to put on the paper like a human being did that and then we're like taking it in the reverse we're taking it like off the canvas or paper whatever the media is and bringing it back to life so we're like doing the reverse so mm -hmm. it's like bringing the human elements of the creation closer together uh, so that's kind of out there but when you look at a piece of art oh my god there's anything you can pull from it so mm -hmm. it's the subject is it a person who is that person is it something we is that like the Mona Lisa her mysterious look you know, mm -hmm. you know just like so sometimes it's like capturing a personality but sometimes it's just like something like like the absence of something like the absence of a focal point or the most important thing in the painting is in the little corner of the painting or it can be like how it's framed or it can be how it's hung or how you as an audience of the painting like feel when you look at it versus right really what the painting is even about you know I, there's like just so much you can do with art um as an inspiration so in a way it was like unlimited resources for creating new choreography mm -hmm. well that's a, another thing i was going to mention is the fact that painting and dance are so um inherently um given towards an interaction between the audience and the creator uh painting there are, as you mentioned, a number of ways to interpret certain paintings. It's oftentimes, if it's photorealistic, it's capturing a scene. If it's abstract, it's capturing a mood. But still, there's that interaction with the viewer 
that has to take place that forces an interpretation by the viewer and, and an instinctual reaction by the viewer. And it's the same way with dance. Given the fact that there's no you know, literal text to it, mm-hmm. it's the viewer's interpretation of the physical movements that creates that type of bond in the relationship and really creates the story. It's an interactive story between the viewer and the participants and the creators. It's the same way with painting, where it's a, an interaction between the artist who puts forth this canvas which gives you a view into this world and then you as the viewer uh, complete that circuit and kind of you know create that connection is that something as well that when you're choreographer you know when you're putting the show together um, you were inspired by these paintings and you also as a viewer of these artworks how were you inspired by them and, and how did that come forth in, in what you've created Well, like anyone, I have my own tastes, you know, so I'm flipping through a book of artwork and I turn the page and turn the page and turn the page. And then for some reason I stop on a certain painting and then I'm like, well, why did I stop on that? And Mm -hmm. so then you have to start thinking like, well, what is it? What is it that appealed to me? Why do I want to look at that some more? And so then you like learn about yourself. When you learn about art, you learn about yourself. So like, why do I want to look at that? painting more than others and you flip through the book again and you're attracted to another one for some reason um and the cool thing about art is that it's not right or wrong Mm -hmm. so it's an amount of tastes like or what kind what what are your tastes sometimes there's more or less skill involved sometimes there's more or less like um education involved but really you know when people come to see dance and sometimes they're concerned if it's not a storybook ballet or it's not a narrative because a lot of dance in this day and age is not a narrative Mm -hmm. um they get concerned that they like don't get it and so they feel uncomfortable by that but what i want everyone to know about dance is sometimes there's nothing to get it is a personal experience that you as the audience member have in the audience what did you feel when you watched it? What did you think about? It doesn't even matter if you liked it or not. There's something you take away from it and there's something that sticks in your head. And then later on you wonder about the piece and like, I don't know. It's like, so it's the same thing with paintings. Like, why does that appeal to you? Um, it could be the mood you're in, you know, like like music. If you like, sometimes if you're in a really bad mood, you have to drive around and blare whatever on your speakers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that. It's like, sometimes it's like a mood, emotion, you know. No, I think that's and it's an interesting point is that so many people feel intimidated by fine art, by ballet, by um, fine artworks and things of that nature because they feel like they have to get a certain thing or they have to have a certain interpretation or there has to be a certain depth to their interpretation. And it's it's weird to me because that's merely a societal programming where you'll see like TV shows or whatever and you'll see this pretentious twat in a turtleneck who's sitting there like pontificating about something and you'll go oh god I couldn't do that or oh that's really off putting but really art's just about your reaction to it I mean it's it, there is no wrong, wrong answer in art there is no wrong answer in terms of like oh this is how this ballet makes me feel or this is how this painting makes me feel it's just what you feel in regard to it people 
you know, when you create something, you just kind of put it out there and then it's up for grabs in terms of what the world is going to interpret it as and how it's going to make them feel. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always like, you know, myself as a painter and as a writer and everything that I've done, a lot of times I don't like telling people what my inspiration was behind this or that or the other thing. It's, it's kind of nice to have in a world where everyone can Google everyone else and look on everyone's social media and dissect every minute aspect of their lives. It's sort of nice to have a riddle every once in a while or something that's unknown. And then that also kind of saves you as the artist, because if you say, oh, this is my inspiration, this is what I was going for. And then someone says, well, I didn't get it. Then you think like, oh, I failed. But if you just say, well, what do you think? What do you? It's like looking at clouds. Everyone can look at a cloud in the sky and see like a puppy dog or a Christmas tree. You know, I mean, there's no. It's like everyone has a different perspective. So sometimes I would even want to say to someone if they see a piece of my choreography and they don't get it, like, or if they want me to tell them what it is, I want to ask them, well, what did you think it was? Like, what did you get out of it? Because maybe I don't even know what I was going for. I mean, I have a lot of skill in the area of choreography. I'm expanding my music knowledge. I love bringing music to life in front of people on stage through choreography. I get to do that with artwork this time. Mm -hmm. I get to put the music and the art together to bring to people. So I definitely had my own inspiration, but the audience can get whatever they want out of it. It's their experience. We are giving it as performance. We're giving it to them. Now, how do you get started on something like this? Now, for those of the, for those of us, that's one thing I've never done. I've never choreographed. I mean, and I've done like you know a bazillion and one other things, movies and theater and everything else, and comedy and painting and what have you. But I've never done ballet, probably for the best, <laughs> because I don't think I'd be very good at it. But nevertheless, um, how do you start something off like this? I mean, how do you get it from I'm looking at this painting in this book to I. I've now created this um, this movement and this entire storyline of uh, you know of a physical movement between between people between the dancers. Well, I mean, how do you how do you even create a narrative from just you know a sequence of paintings? How did you go into that? Well, I have within me a wealth of information because I have trained in dance my entire life, mainly in ballet, but in other forms of dance. I've trained in uh, teaching of dance and choreography, so I have like a lot of information inside of me. Sometimes I feel like there's not much in there, but then I'm usually surprised at the resources that come out. So like, okay, so we agree that like you train in something for a long time, it's in you, it's a part of you. Then I go and I look at the new resource, which is the music or the artwork, and I study everything I get my hands on about it. So I'm not even in the dance studio yet. I'm um, in the library in front of a computer reading everything I can about the artist, the time period of art, the subject of the art, if it's a musician, I read about other things he that... I almost said heat because a lot of times composers are male, but well, it's a different mm-hmm. podcast. Let's do a different podcast <laughs> on that. That's a different topic. Um, lo- looking for um, just any information I can find that kind of like just strikes my fancy. I call it going down the rabbit hole. So I end up doing sometimes several weeks worth of overtime, you know, it adds up over time, just like filling myself up with new knowledge. So it's like humanities. It's like taking part in life, right? Sure. It's like uh-huh. history, politics, food trends, like hairstyles, like any, anything that strikes my fancy. And then I kind of sit on it for a while. And then I go into the 
dance studio and I have the professional dancers with me and if it's a piece of music I play the music if it's a piece of art I show them the artwork and I engage them in a dialogue I'm extremely collaborative so I'm not the kind of person sometimes there's like uh perceived hierarchy in dance that the person in the front of the room knows exactly what to do no those dancers are like my living instruments so they inform a lot of what's going to happen in the room so I share with them what I find interesting the knowledge that I have I get their perspective on what they see in the painting or what they hear in the music and then we just kind of brainstorm you know we brainstorm there's no wrong answer and then we'll start creating shapes with our bodies and they are professionally trained dancers I was in my past so we have like all the information in our bodies to pull shapes out of our bodies and then we start taking shapes and we make them into phrases it's like writing you make a sentence and then you make a paragraph and you organize your paragraphs you make chapters and then pretty soon you have an entire piece that hopefully supports your main thesis sentence now um to someone who has never I mean you're going to have your people who are fans of ballet who are going to go oh wow this is fantastic but about like somebody who's never really seen something like this before somebody who may be intimidated by we talked about people who are intimidated by things of this nature because they don't feel like you know oh I'm not going to get it or you know what what do you say to people like that I mean how do you reach out to to folks to just kind of like get them to come out and give it a try and to be like you know what just come out and you know see how you feel in regard to this Well, there's a lot of aspects about what we do that I find really appealing on a very human level. For one thing, we're a professional dance company in a smaller community like the Quad Cities. I feel really uh, proud to be a member of this community that supports a professional ballet company, a symphony, art museum. There's so many theater productions. There's so many things going on. There's so many festivals. Like This is a really cool community. So on one hand, I want to say to people shoot just leave your house for a second and like live life and see who the people around you are like your neighbors what are they doing they're doing cool stuff there's cool things happening down the street or there's this like new idea happening or did you know this guy does this thing and this person paints and that person sings and like there's all people that like contribute to the quality of life in the quad cities so there's that aspect that i think even if you're not a dance fan or if you think you're a dance fan you're a fan of life right and of like I don't know, wanting to be proud of where you live and like giving back to your community and Ballet Quad Cities also does a tremendous amount of outreach programs in the community for all ages. So we're really invested in being here in the Quad Cities. So there's that component of it. Um, Also, there's the athleticism Mm -hmm. that perhaps some people aren't that familiar with they think about ballet as being something that like little girls do in sparkly pink tutus but dance itself is actually this like cool expression of the entire body so it's like you're putting sports together with every single kind of art acting it's like theater it's like everything comes together and it's this like fabulous manipulation of the human body to like express the things you can't put words to so that's pretty cool Sometimes it's just a night out on the town, you know, just get out of the house and off the couch or just something different. How did uh, Paris on Point, how did um, France and Paris um, inspire you and form the choreography and, and the show in general? Is, and is there is another question? Is there a, uh, a unifying narrative? Is there a story that's being told from beginning to end or is it vignettes based upon the, the paintings? It's vignettes. We've chosen five different paintings to bring to life, and then there's two additional pieces that kind of embody um, spirit of like um, the energy of the time period, mm-hmm. but not necessarily a specific artwork. Um, 
ballet itself has its roots in France. The language we use when we speak about ballet, the terminology is all in French. So the codified technique of ballet is um, Thomas in French in the, in the French courts. So there's that connection. Um, but this whole art exhibit, it ranges from 1850 to 1915, so that's a huge time in history, whether you're talking about art, whether you're talking about politics, whether you're talking about, like, religion, like, like a lot happens in a hundred years. Right, yeah. So, 1850 to 1950, my God, like, what changed during that time period? It's like, people drive cars now, you know, there's, like, so right. much that has changed. So, within that artwork, we're seeing a change from, just reflects what was happening in the world, like, realism into impressionism and romanticism into surrealism and into, like, what we know of now is like all the cool stuff that was happening in New York City in the 50s. So it's like Paris was the hub of all this stuff. So it, was, it was like a bunch of friends hanging out in bars in Paris, like mm-hmm. painting and singing and showing each other their work and inspiring each other. And that's kind of what this exhibit is about, is like all the people who influenced each other to make new art. And then people saw it, that was pretty cool, spread the stuff that was happening, techniques, maybe, or ideas or concepts um, spread around the world, made its way to New York City, and then people like Jackson Pollock took over and Andy Warhol, and then, you know, our center of the world became New York City. And um, so a lot of people can relate to that, I guess. You know, that feeling of that excitement of, like, Mm -hmm. a certain locale. You know, we think, like, oh, the the Big Apple, the big city, Uh New York City. So that's how people thought of Paris and still do. So... Yeah, there's a lot of like romance there, a lot of history. <laughs> so it's, you're not just going to have people in red and or, uh, black and white striped shirts with berets and like carrying baguettes or anything like that. Ooh, <laughs> that's a great idea. Where were you when I was starting this process? I'm trying to think of every French stereotype I possibly can. Like maybe they have like little handlebar mustaches oh, or something. There may or may not be a few handlebar mustaches on stage. Uh-huh. There may or may not be. You'll have to come and see. <laughs> I will say that. I mean, not all of it is so serious. You know what I mean? That's the cool uh-huh. thing about dance. It can be like very highbrow, but it can also just be like, oh my gosh, just like who doesn't like to jam to music in their car? Like that's what dance. Especially with handlebar mustaches. With handlebar mustaches, right. yeah. So that's, I don't know. It's kind of like we explore the range of like stuff that's just a little bit more, uh, re- I don't know, restrained is the right word mm-hmm. or like formed and then some stuff that's a little looser. We have all kinds of styles on stage. Mm-hmm. Point. Yeah, they have point. She's on Paris on point, but um I don't know. It's it's kind of wild. This is a little different. Uh-huh. Do you encourage the audience to show up with handlebar mustaches and berets? Yes, and baguettes. And baguettes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Wine as well. <laughs> yeah, some champagne. That's uh-huh. great. There you go. Yeah. What was the most fun thing for you in creating this show? Um. Oh my gosh. Well, it's like the moment. <laughs> where you have like nothing in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're a writer, you have like a, a blank, blank page, page. Uh-huh. and then later on, there's something on that page that exists. Uh-huh. So it's that. It's like going into something like, oh, I have no idea. Like, what is this going to be? Am I going to like? What if I come up with nothing? What if I get writer's block? You know, uh-huh. all that. And then like something exists that wasn't there before, and you look back and you're like, oh, it's like it was always meant to be. It was there. I don't know, it's just that like moment of creation every time. It's every single day that happens in the dance studio. We have the best job ever. That is always cool. It's like that. Yeah, I always say that to people. It's like it's always neat to think, wow, here's something that exists in the world that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Because 
I don't know, whatever ins- mm-hmm. weird inspiration occurred, yeah. you know, when, in transit. So, And then I have one other favorite moment is right before the curtain opens for the very first time on a brand new piece. And when I hear the musicians warming up their instruments and you hear the audience coming in and they're talking and like, you know, the dancers are warming up backstage and there's a moment that there's like a lot of human beings in one place, like mm-hmm. working towards something unique that's going to happen. Like just that, whoa, that like one moment where the curtain, it will never be another like first performance or first premiere. So it's like that moment where like my job is done and now I just like let the dancers dance it out. I let the musicians play, I let the audience soak it all in. That's it. Giving it over. Mm-hmm. Um, how did um, the paintings influence uh, the costuming or any of the visuals or anything like that? Given the fact that obviously painting is a visual medium um, and that would, you know, most uh, directly transpose to, you know, visuals in the background on stage and you know costuming things of that nature was there any direct correlation in terms of that or was that something that was completely divorced that you wanted to just kind of keep separate um generally i don't create choreography with a particular costume in mind because Unless it's like a goal, like, oh, we have this really cool thing we want to put on stage and it looks like this, but you can only use your left leg when you wear it. So I have to create, you know, I mean, there's like. That might make choreography difficult. There is stuff like. Okay, peg leg Pete, here's what you got to do. I'm open to it. I'll take any, I'll take any challenge. But typically what happens is I'll create a piece of choreography with the dancers and then Jody Cook, our CEO, Uh will take a look at it. And she's. Oh, you mean the one who forgot when, what the website was? (laughs) (laughs) That. Jody, yeah. <laughs> She's going to listen to this and she, be like, <laughs> She has a fabulous eye. She just has like a great taste in pretty much everything in life. So I usually ask her advice on most things I do. Um, and she's a great eye for what's going to go on stage. So she costumes all my pieces. And sometimes she'll say like, oh, I want to try this really wild thing. And like, or like, oh, I have a, you know, I have a great idea for this. And sometimes we take it off. So we sat with our art book open. I will not show you the art book because this will do you no good on your yeah. podcast. But um, we'll look at the piece of art as we're watching the dance happen. And she'll like envision different colors in the paintings pulled out and turned into costumes. Or sometimes it's a texture. Or sometimes mm-hmm. it's like a movement quality, like what the fabric is made of. If it's like silk, will it move a certain way? We need something really heavy to have this kind of feeling. So, yeah, that adds to it. For sure, like all of the different components that come together for a dance performance, everything, there's so much thought put into it. The lighting, the costumes, um, the makeup, the way the dancers wear their hair, like everything can change the way an audience will perceive a piece. Um, who are some of the artists and what are some of the names of the specific paintings? Obviously, we can't see the paintings on the podcast, but who are some of the artists and what are some of the paintings perhaps that um, inspired you or inspired the uh, the choreography, the, the different pieces, the different set pieces in this? Okay. Well, I did the choreography for a handful of these pieces um, and Emily Kate Long um, who's currently rehearsing in the studio. I don't know if you can hear in the background. Rehearsing the dancers did um, a handful of the pieces as well. So I'll talk about a few of mine that were pretty um, fun to figure out. Um, Portrait of a Lady. So that one, that's Giovanna Giovanni Boldini, which sounds very Italian mm-hmm. because he was, but he happened to be in Paris at the time mm-hmm. um, of the painting, and he had a studio in Paris. So even though he's not a French artist, he's part of this exhibit. Um, and he had this great, he has this great portrait of this woman in a black evening gown, kind of uh, perched over a settee, and she's looking straight at the audience. And um, 
Her gaze is very captivating. Um, and then I was working with Marion Lee um, from St. Ambrose Music Department, and we were working together coming up with the music that we would use for this program because it was kind of tricky to figure out like oh there's so much music in the world there's so much art how do we narrow it down and she played this piece of music for me Claude Debussy it's a flute solo syrinx it's called um, and it's kind of like mysterious and wandering impressionistic and it made me think right away of that painting so I thought aha I'll put these two together and then once I started researching syrinx a little bit more I found out that it was it's like this mythology where um Syrinx was like this nymph who was pursued by Pan and she ran off into the reed forest to get away from his advances and he cut down the reeds to find her and he accidentally killed her but that's where the term pan flute came from was pan's reeds right. um, and so I thought like oh my gosh so I would like decided that the woman in the painting that was her story that was like the ghost of Syrinx coming back to tell tell her tale of getting axed by pan so i mean it's kind of it's like really cool to like start putting the pieces together right. like free reign to I don't, like let your imagination just go anywhere for it so an audience member maybe might know the story maybe not it doesn't matter but they'll get some kind of feeling when they watch that solo dancer well it's kind of neat how like the research gives you insight into how to pursue the narrative in regard to each of these pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Some pieces don't have a narrative. So one piece I chose, which uh, I chose that I was so excited. And then I thought like, oh my gosh, what what have I done? It's like, you know, when you sometimes are like, you're at a buffet and you take everything you want. And then you're like, oh. Yeah, I did that at Happy Joe's today and it wasn't a pleasant experience. No, I, no, I shouldn't say that because then Happy Joe's is going to be ticked off on me. I just ate too much Happy Joe's. The, the pizza just looks so delicious. And where do you stop? You know, so. You can't stop. It is. It's a happy place. It's happy, yeah. Happy Joe's. Um, So the last piece on the program is the biggest piece, meaning that it has the largest dancers, and it's um, the longest in length. It's about mm, 16 to 17 minutes long, and it's this fantastic piece of music that was composed in the like 1920 and I believe it was composed at the time to be a silent film score for a Charlie Chaplin movie mm-hmm. so it, you can kind of imagine it had like a lot of character to it, it was like really funny there's like humor in it and then it was turned into a ballet in 1921 and then no one's ever really seen it again and I just thought like I heard the music and I was like oh my god that sounds like so much fun like there's so much energy in it like of course I would want to put that on stage but sometimes I feel like the energy of the music it like railroads me that I, I feel like oh my gosh how can I keep up with the energy wise and so for me it's like problem solving like Mm -hmm. okay what do I do with this section how do I not tire out the dancers too much or visually confuse the audience like their eyes need time to rest so their brain can process what they saw to see the next thing so I can't let the music like overtake the piece I need to um, match it I need to stay with it and then I chose a piece of artwork for it um, that's like all these bodies like in this swimming pool you're like looking at the swimming pool from above and it's like a really crowded swimming pool and it's very surrealist and there's like all these blobs that are like arms and legs and there's birds and like black blobs and blue blobs so you get the idea it's like splashing water um and so it's like all these people like crammed in this little space and i decided to pair the two pieces together so i have this like painting with a million people shoved in a really tiny space and then i have this music that's like gangbusters and i was like what have i done (laughs) so i chose to not introduce any kind of narrative because I felt like there was already enough going on and like 
so much music to dance to and um, so much to explore in those really weird shapes of that crowded swimming pool that that's all I needed. I didn't need a a narrative. So people might get a narrative out of it because if they start following a dancer on stage, like, oh, there's a girl in the black skirt. She's over here, over there. Human nature is to make stories out of things you don't understand Mm -hmm. because that's people's imagination. So people will come up with a story and I can't wait to hear what people think is going on. I don't have a story. You brought something up that I think is interesting is um, you mentioned hiring the dancers out. How much thought goes into the pacing of a show so that you don't tire the dancers out so that they, you know, it's kind of like a nice even flow so that you've got slow points and you've got points that are a bit more frenetic and, you know, points where you can have, not if not a total rest, at least, you know, something that's not quite as frenzied. Um, well, once we kind of get going in the process of creating an even, evening length work, um, we sometimes take a step back and change around casting. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I may get to the end of creating something and I realize, wow, that one dancer has never left stage. And the right. other dancer I see for two minutes. Like, wow, that was not done on purpose. Let me rearrange it. So there is some of that like adjusting later on. It's mm-hmm. kind of like when you, I don't know, decorate your living room and you design it and you look at it and you're like, oh my god, I have like 500 white feather pillows on that couch. You know, I don't know. It's like you didn't just like fudge around a little mm-hmm. bit with it. Um, also, I like take stock. Like, are the dancers really red in the face? Are they like really sweaty? Is their hair really fuzzy? Like, do they have to stop and bend over and like catch their breath? And then I think, okay, we're almost getting there. So let's keep pushing it because you really do want to um, extend the range of the dancers because they're these really marvelous creatures that can really do anything on stage. And it, if I didn't allow them to expand their own like breath as artists and like their physical body, then I would be shortchanging them as dancers and shortchanging the audience. So no, you cannot do that all the time, but sometimes you really want to let them move very fast, like move very far, be really high and really low. You know, you want to kind of like help the viewer's brain, like go on that ride with the dancer. Like, they're over here and there and up and down and up. And then, ah, I breathe when they breathe. I rest when they rest. So it's like you go on a ride together. How does this show compare with any previous Valley Quad City shows? And how does it compare with any shows you may have coming up? Well, I don't know that you can compare our our shows because they're all super different. Um, This one just was just feels really unique to me because of the all the different input from the different sources. So the art, the music, we have live musicians. We have some dancers who are actually brand new to the company this season. So it will be the first time they're on stage with the ballet company. Um, so there's just, it just feels like there's a lot of newness right now. And new is always really exciting. You know, when you get like new clothes or new shoes or a new car, you feel like, Ooh, extra fancy. So I just feel like there's a lot of like freshness to this performance. Um, so there are some things that we do frequently, like Nutcracker, and there's comfort in that familiar-ness familiar uh-huh. of Nutcracker and of always trying to raise a bar on something where you know where the bar was set the year before. There was no bar set for this piece. This is like a brand new thing, so we just like try to make it the best we can. You bring up um, the live musicians. Um, obviously, there's always a difference between performing with a pre-screened track and live musicians, given the fact that if it's live, there's always deviation. It's never exactly precisely the same. There's always minute deviations, yeah. at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's always mm-hmm. the room for 
improvisation or things of that nature. Are there any moments in this show where you allow for anything like that, or um, is it uh, fairly you know tightly scripted? Uh, no, actually, the music for the flute, the syrinx solo for the woman, um, that piece of music really appealed to me because it doesn't have a lot of like repeating melodies or like common like it just it's like it's like it's like a siren song that wanders all over the place and there's a lot of pauses where i'm assuming the flute player is breathing and taking a pause <laughs> and the lengths of that silence sometimes lasts like a beat longer than you expect mm. and i love it because sometimes i have the dancer moving through those silences and sometimes she doesn't so she the dancer kind of modifies what she does based on the flute player so that one's super interactive so that one is a little bit different every time I don't know why that made me think of Taze on Day with Chocolate Rain, where he like moves away from the microphone and he says he's taking a breath. I have no idea what that what you're talking about. <laughs> I... There's your homework assignment, Courtney, okay. is to go onto YouTube and look up Chocolate Rain by Taze on Day, and you'll see exactly what that joke okay. meant. So it was a viral YouTube video okay. that was out in recently years. He he um, moves his head away from the microphone, and there's a subtitle that says like I move my head away because I have to take a breath. <laughs> Okay, I'll look it up. I feel nervous. I feel nervous now. You might Don't. be sending me down a wrong, dark path. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. I wouldn't lead you wrong there, Courtney. Um, so, um, would you like to talk about any of the other shows coming up in the in the season? Is there anything else you'd like to add in regard to this particular well, show? Like Monopolize the conversation. Yeah. Well, it seems like Emily's busy in there, well, and Jody's not here. You so, want to answer? You want Emily? Sure, sure. If you'd like, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I feel like they probably have a lot to say too. Okay. The show's going to be fabulous. Oh my gosh, it's a fantastic show. So people get out of your houses, get your friends, get a ticket, see the ballet. I mean, you can't, you like, can't lose. It's going to be awesome. Sounds good. Okay, we'll see. Tell them it's not that intimidating. Okay. They'll only be for a few minutes. It's not horrible. It's painless. Relatively so. Okay. Thanks for volunteering. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Exactly. See, you've been on my podcast before, Emily. See you again. See, it's not so bad, is it? No. No. Completely painless. Exactly. So, Courtney has talked quite a bit about the show. What would would you... Pardon? You want Micah right now as a dancer? Sure, sure. If you want to have her come on in. Um... How do you, how are you feeling in regard to this show? What is your role within this, and um, what are you most excited about in terms of it? I have a few different hats that I am wearing in this show. I choreographed two of the pieces on the program. This is Emily Kate Long speaking. Who is, this is Emily Kate Long speaking. Oh, yes. Cheat sheet. Um, I choreographed the pieces The Regatta and a duet that is called Duel. Um, and I'm also dancing in one of the pieces. I'm dancing in Bolero, which is kind of a staple mm-hmm. with the company now since its creation in 2015. Um, I was part of the original cast for that. So we brought it back with some new dancers and some veterans. Mm-hmm. So that's really fun. Um, it's been really cool to see how multidisciplinary this show is. This kind of a collaboration is a new thing for Mm -hmm. the company to this degree um, and with live music and really working so closely with the artwork and in a way it took a lot of the pressure off because 
the concept was already there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to like pull something out of thin air of like, oh gosh, what am I going to make a ballet about? But you kind of do. That's what we were talking about is the fact that the paintings are so open to interpretation as well. And so there, it leaves you with that gray area that you can fit, kind of fill in. But then again, ballet is the same way where there's so much room for interpretation by the audience. Definitely. They're, in some ways, it they open up more questions than answers. Right. Or it's like having a seventh dancer on stage when you have a live musician or a Uh painting it's just all of these extra cooks in the kitchen so Mm -hmm. to speak um but in terms of even just having some choices made for you of like form structure size of the movements it's like oh well if this piece has really big bold colors then i'm going to do big movement and like that thing has been answered to and it takes a little bit of the pressure off of like, oh, why did they make that choice? Like, because the artist said to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because the painter did it first. I'm just doing what they did. I'm just following their map. Um, well, that's one of the things we talked about is the fact that, there, there, you know, people don't think necessarily of painting being a kinetic art, but it is. It's, oh, it's the brush strokes, it's, the it's way, so the thickness of the paint, the way that it moves across the canvas. It's very kinetic. How the artist would have been moving when they were created, mm-hmm. or is it really exactly. zoomed in? The size of the work itself, yep. how much weight does it have? How much weight do the colors have? How much texture is there? There's so many elements how big of a kinesphere or small of a kinesphere, like how much space the dancers are moving in on the stage. Um, In Duel, for example, it is the music is a clarinet and a piano, um, and they have a lot of interplay. There's a lot of canon and echo and counterpoint and like call and response, and it sometimes almost sounds to me like they're taunting each other. Mm -hmm. And then there are also these moments where it's really, really tender and really beautiful and really lovely and quiet. Um, And the painting is this large it's like four feet tall i think it's but it's narrow it's tall and skinny and it's these two little tiny figures it's all in pastels it looks like it's like a japanese like fabric panel um it's called jacob wrestling with the angel and there are these two tiny little figures um one of them is a nude and one of them has wings in the bottom center of the painting but the sides of the painting are these really huge dark heavy trees so I decided to use two really tall dancers. Mm-hmm. And it's like the dancers sometimes are the trees, sometimes they're the figures, sometimes they make their bodies really small. But I tried to constrict them to a really small area of the stage. Mm-hmm. Partly just because it's like you can only see so many duets before they all right. start looking the same. Or you can only see so many works of art before. It's like, oh, another rectangle with a bunch of colors on it. So like, what is it that makes that artwork distinct? Or going back and thinking of like, what was my gut reaction when I first looked at that piece? Mm-hmm. Like, was it the architecture of it? Was it the composition? Was it the color? Was it the softness or the hardness of the lines? Mm-hmm. Or what features really like popped to the eye and then like how do you deliver that to the audience or how do you make them see something that maybe they wouldn't see at first glance of the painting like oh i never noticed that thing right and we have one the dancers joining us and this is micah micah ward micah ward and um you're one of the dancers featured in the show how does it feel to be a part of this and what are some of the challenges what are some of the exciting parts of it that you're particularly you know passionate about um i think that one of the really awesome things is the like kind of emily already touched on the collaboration um just between different artists musicians like you know painters and then dancers but then also between like the choreographers and the dancers like there's definitely um, a bit of collaboration there too, which makes it really fun because, like, you know, the, the directions are endless that we can take some of these things, and so it makes it 
really fun and interesting on a day-to-day basis, you know, with where we're going to take it. Um, And I think that working on stuff based off of paintings is really cool because, like you guys were talking about, um, you can go anywhere with it, but it's kind of like each person sees a painting differently you know it speaks to them in a different way and so I think like with choreographing this stuff like we've all been like deciphering these paintings and seeing how they speak to us and like you can even see like how we have all interpreted some of these paintings super differently but it makes for a very interesting end product so I think I think that's been a lot of fun and it's been challenging trying to put myself in other people's shoes too for some of this because the movement is so some of it is very comfortable to my body some of it is like totally like I don't know like alien to me like it's just like kind of like hard for me to like to get you know put myself in that in those shoes you know but it's been good for me because you know obviously we dance to step outside of our comfort zones Mm. so it's been a lot of fun how do you feel about the artworks um, the style of artwork were either of you big fans of this particular period or this style um, or is this something that's new t- to you or conversely were you like oh god I, I'm not a big fan of it, this artwork at all but you know I guess I gotta slog through this so how did you feel about them going in and how has your perception and feeling about them changed being a part of this I would say that something when Courtney and I early on, this is Emily talking, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think we could tell the difference in your voice. Courtney and I were going through early on. We started by, and she may have touched on this, we started by having the exhibition book, like the catalog book from the Brooklyn Museum. And we tried to go through and select something from each category represented, like figurative, nude, still life, cubist, uh, realist, and some of the things, some of the categories it was a little harder to find works that spoke to us than other like there's this really realistic painting of like a fish on a platter like how do you make a dance to that so we just left that one aside um and i initially went gravitated towards some of the sculpture um I think because it's more tactile or that's a lot of times what I think of but I was really surprised to find how much I was able to draw out of the works that I selected um Jacob wrestling with the angel I didn't love initially but I've found a lot to be interested by in it um but the Dufy painting that I picked for my bigger group piece for the regatta, I really like saw it and it like leapt off the page and like straight into my heart. Like I love that painting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like be every single character and like be on the sailboat and be on the beach with the characters. Um, and I wish that your listeners could see the painting right now, but it's so bright. It's so colorful. Um, I feel like I can see it in my mind's eye. Like every time I hear that music, it was like the connection was in- instant for me. What? This is Sean, by the way. Um, <laughs> what? What? What painting it? Right. We can't tell the difference for the two of us. What what is the painting so that people, if they're so inclined, they can you know go online and you know find out which painting it is. Sure, uh, the painting See is is it's called the Regatta by Raoul Dufy, and there are actually a lot of different iterations of it with slightly different compositions of the figures in the foreground, different combinations of color. Um, but there are a lot of really strong, bold shapes. Um, he was a Fauvist painter, and one thing that they started doing that sort of group of artists that generation of artists was um to use really 
explicitly, I guess, whatever color they thought they saw. So if something looked yellow to them, they just slapped yellow on the canvas instead of worrying about, like, what are the subtleties of the yellow or, like, what other elements? It's just, like, yellow was yellow, red was red. So all of the colors really pop. They're a little blocky. Like, the figures are kind of chunky and um, angular, which also made for some really interesting movements and characters. Just every... There's, like, a lot of personality in that piece, a lot of which was brought by the dancers. Like a same question. Um, I think because there's such a large variety of like different styles of of art or, or like painting and stuff during that time. Like, I mean, it is like a 100 year span. I think of like yeah. artwork. So, 1950 from 1950. yeah. So there's definitely some stuff that I like more than others. I think I really enjoy cubism. I love. Um, the stuff that's kind of blockier, very colorful, the regatta I really enjoy. Um, but then, I don't know, there's others I'm like, I think it's probably the newer things that I'm like more of a fan of, like stuff closer to probably like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I think I think all of the artwork is very interesting. It's been fun for me. I'm, I'm not like a huge art person so it's just been fun for me to like kind of learn a little bit about it through this experience mm-hmm. so yeah cool is there anything else you'd like to add that we have not covered that you think is really important that people need to know or would you just like to tell us when exactly it is again so that and where people can get their tickets yes the last thing i would say is come see this performance it is so unique um it's really diverse. It's a really exciting show. Physically, it's a really exciting show. It is happening on September 15th and 16th at Galvin Fine Arts Center, which is on St. Ambrose campus. And you can get tickets through the St. Ambrose website. And there's also a link on the Ballet Quad Cities website to get tickets. The Saturday night show is at 7.30 and the Sunday matinee is at 2.30. Cool. Micah, would you like to add anything else to that? Uh no, not so much other than I'm I'm excited for the shows and I hope we get a good turnout and I think that it's going to be an awesome experience for everybody involved. So that's about it. Cool. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Always is. Um, that Once again, this is Sean Leary. Thank you for listening to QC Uncut. Go and check out Ballet Quad Cities, their new performance coming up, Harris on Point. Um, once more, thank you very much for listening to QC Uncut, your source for uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers and entertainers. This is Sean Leary. Hope you have a great day.